0: really we're all the same sure some of us have don't. more money more skill more brains or more time, time than others but you and i want the want same thing. thing i want to make difference i want to make a difference to have an impact a huge impact on my family my community my world now it's time to take that community. and turn it into reality to use what we do have to accomplish, to accomplish something great it's time to leave mediocre behind. It's time to leave mediocre behind. Because it doesn't matter how much you have. It's how you use it. The opportunity is before you. The opportunity is before you. But, but you, you don't have, have to take, take the, take the, the first, step. first step. Hey, good morning. I am so glad you guys are here. We're in a series right now called You Times Two. And uh, we were kind of laughing about this because when we had the sign out there on the front. It looked, you really see the U2 pronounced, and we thought perhaps people might <laughs> drive by and think we were having U2 here for Easter. So uh, but that, anyway, it's all about doubling your impact. But when you came in today, you got something more than you normally get. You usually get a worship folder in your hand that kind of gives you some updates about what's happening at New Spring. But this morning, you got something else. And uh, if, you're, if, if you're looking at it right now, you'll notice that there's an additional letter in there. It says, us times two. So heads up, New Springers. If you're a New Springer, I want to talk to you for just a few moments about what this is all about, Uh, because while we're thinking about how to double our impact as individuals as a church, we're thinking about how we can double our impact. Our, Our church has grown explosively in the last, well, for quite a while, but especially in the last 18 months, and along with growth in here, we're also experiencing great growth in kids' world. Kids are just so important to us. Uh, we're going to rule out Easter because Easter's numbers are always large. But right now, we're, we're, we're seeing about 3,500 people worship here on a weekend at New Spring. And uh, Dan Kubish, who is our, our kids pastor, was telling me that uh, the week before Easter, this year, just at the 11 o'clock service two weeks ago, we had the identical number of kids that we had in Kids World in three services last year. So we're just, we're watching great things happen. That is great. <laughs> So uh, as a church, we, we, we're always kind of on the frugal side. I don't know why that is, but it's like we just we want to make sure that we're using all of God's resources to their max before we take another step. So here at New Spring, we've been going through some transition with our space, and we've converted just about every inch of space that's not worship space to kids space. In fact, uh, two, three years ago, we, we converted all of our office space to kids space. And then in this fantastic uh, process from last year, we converted our gym Uh, Added another floor to it, turned into a 252 theater. Just some of the most prime kid space in America, and then we've we've just taken about any any space that we had that was used for something else, and we turned into kid space, and that's been great. But we certainly have reached the max point. So if you if you open this little guide, you'll notice that there is a brand new building. It's shaded in blue there, and that building is going to allow us to double our kid space. In fact, if you look at the footprint of it and then compare it to the worship center, you get some idea of just how big this building is going to be. If you look down below, you'll see that all the space is themed. I I drive away from this campus every weekend, and I say to Mary Alice, don't you wish you could have grown up in this church? I mean, it is phenomenal. It's going to be theme space. Delpor, who is our onboard wizard who creates all the environments for us in this room and in the kids' world, he is just outdoing himself, and, and, and it's just phenomenal what's going to be happening. Uh, right now, I'm wearing a little pin, and I want to just say this: um, these if you see somebody wearing one of these pins, they're going to know quite a bit about the building. We're hosting something right now that we're calling full access meetings. In fact, I have one almost every night of the week. And the reason for that is there's, I'm limited in time as to how much I can talk to you about this cool building, because it's about to get started. We're, we're, God willing, about to break ground on it in May, and we're hoping to have it completed by December. I know that sounds radical, but God is at work and he's moving quickly. And I need you to move fast with me. But obviously I can't, I can't stay up on stage and talk about this all the time because we have more important things that we need to talk about. So I've created some full access meetings where I'll be there. Uh, Our executive pastor is overseeing the building process. Dan Kubish, our kids pastor will be there. The three of us will talk to you about what it's all about. And if you see somebody with one of these pins, they've been to a full access meeting. And, And right now, you know, there have only been a few of these, but there will actually be hundreds of new springers wearing these pins before the next few weeks are out. So if you can't be at one of those, if you see somebody wearing a pin, just grab them by the arm or the hair or something and say, Hey, now tell me what it's like. Tell me what they covered. If you would like to be part of a full access meeting, there's still a few slots left. You can get online, sign up, be part of that. And uh, we're, we're just so totally pumped about the opportunities that God is going to present for us. Uh, parents, if you could just go back to this one more time, you'll notice that not only we're building—I if I don't know how tight the camera can get in on this—but not only are we building this new building, we're also, we're also retrofitting some of our existing space. And for moms and dads who have to you know, bring kids in, you're going to love this. In the area right behind where I'm standing straight back, we're going to create a new entry point in which you can actually drive in a covered environment— and you know, dads, this is your chance to be gallant. To actually drop the family off, ride right at a check-in point, so that we. And again, I, I forgive me for breaking the sentence, but parents, we feel so guilty sometimes because we realize all the hoops you have to jump through to get in, check your kids in, get them ready. We're gonna, we're gonna. St- Streamline that process, create new, new coffee areas and all kinds of cool things. But if, if you want to know more about it, grab somebody who's been to full access, ask them, or again, there are a few slots left if you want to be part of it. One more thing, on the back is a sample card, a sample response card, because on May 16th and 17th, we're receiving a very special offering. We, we want to be up and running by that time. And so, for the, and by the way, if you're not a new springer, please don't feel any pressure here. I'm talking to new springers, people who really love what God is doing here. I'm going to ask all of us to step up to the plate and get involved and bring an offering, special offering that day to help us get started. I know in my family, we're also praying about a, a commitment that we're going to make for a year, the next 12 months while this is going up. Because guys, I got to tell you something. I love investing in what God is doing. You know, I invested a lot in God's work last year. I didn't lose a penny, you know. Uh, in 2008 was a good investment year for me uh, because so much of it was invested in what God was doing. So I want to encourage you to think about that and pray about that. And now let's head into the message. Our our, our theme is doubling our impact. And my prayer is that all of us have a desire to do that. I believe that God made every one of us with a craving to make a difference in the world. And that is what God desires from us, and I believe it's something that all of us want. But my question for us is, how much of an impact do we feel like we're making right now? If you're, if you're here this morning and you just really are, are, are hungering for this, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to take notes this morning. I've created a U Times 2 journal, and I know that many of you have got this. I'm, I'm writing a chapter basically for every day of the calendar week. So if you have this, you're going to have a lot of what I'm going to say this morning. But if not, I want to encourage you to, to write some stuff down. Because today's talk is not going to be a performance on my part. We're going to workshop. So for those of you who have a passion to double your impact, you and I are going to do this sermon together. I'm going to give you the concepts, and my concern is that the Holy Spirit will will help you identify ways to make impact happen in your life. So if you're taking notes this morning, let me give you the first expression I'd like to ask you to write down, and we'll talk about it for a few moments. And that is the expression, world changers, world changers. God is looking for world changers. This world is looking for world changers. In Jesus' story, we have a CEO, and I covered this last week, but let me just go over it a little bit again this week. We have a CEO who was turning resources over to managers that he had hired because the CEO was about to go on a trip. These were the days long before um, there were um, instant communication Uh, there were, you know, long before there were days of, of jet travel. These were days when if a person went on a trip, he was pretty well out of pocket. So this CEO well understood that there was no way that he could execute his own transactions, nor could he oversee those who were executing transactions in his name. So he said to his three money managers, I've been watching what you are capable of. And he said, I think I understand what your outer limits are. To the first guy, he gave $5 million. And he said, take these $5 million into the marketplace and increase my estate. To the second guy, he said, you have $2 million. Take these $2 million and go out into the marketplace and do business for me and increase my estate. To the third guy, he gave $1 million. The amounts were varied, obviously, depending upon their capability. and But his point was that each one of them were to take resources and use resources to make impact. Now here is, I believe, the issue for us today. I believe all of us deep down inside want to change the world. But in order to change the world, we must leverage resources. That means time, talent, energy, money, creativity. All of us have a package of those five things. If we're going to make an impact in the world, we must use those for making an impact. But herein lies the problem. In the culture in which you and I live, we live in a consumption-oriented culture that says that we should take the time, the energy, the talent, the resources, and money, and we should use those to make our lives more comfortable. The problem with that is if we eat our resources, we can never use them to make a substantive difference world changers understand that they have been given a package they have been given a package of resources and they must leverage those or use those if they're really going to make a difference last weekend i closed my talk by asking you to think about the person or people in your life who had impacted you not just people who were there but people whose lives actually made a difference in your life and I thought to myself when I got through I know how things are that there might be someone who would walk away and say Mark really nobody in my life made an impact. But when I was driving away from the campus the thought came to me. I thought that no matter who you are somebody made an impact in your life. The very fact that you were here means that somewhere back in your history there was a woman who carried you in her body for 9 months. You may like her, you may not like her, but I'll guarantee you, if she hadn't been there, you wouldn't be here. She wore clothes that were probably not her favorite fashion statement, she left behind foods that might have been her favorites. She probably, probably even didn't get to make trips to one of the end of her pregnancy that she wanted to make. Somebody cared enough about you that she carried you in her body for nine months. Do you see what I'm talking about? You mu- if you want to make an impact, you must leverage resources. There is a de- direct connection between your talent, your time, your money, your energy, your creativity. There is a direct line between that package and any impact that you and I make in our life. Without resources forget about impact. There is no impact. We have an expression, guys, we have a cultural expression for an attempt to make a difference without using resources. We call it good intentions. And as someone has well said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Until I put some, until I put some resources at play, I'm not going to make any impact. Wow, that's where we need to start this morning because world changers understand that. We have to ask the question, Am I living to consume, or am I living to make a difference? Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 24. We want to live well. And the Bible's not indicating there's anything wrong with that. We want to live well. Is that true? Yeah. I want to live in a nice house. I want to drive a nice car. I want to wear nice clothes. I want to take nice vacations. The Bible says nothing wrong with that. We want to live well. But look at this: our foremost efforts should be to help others live well. Whoa, all of a sudden that stings a little bit, doesn't it? Because in our culture, we're thinking our foremost effort should be to help me live well. I should use the very best of my energies to advance my own situation. And yet, this is what God says for all of us who are God followers. God is saying our best efforts... The very best that we have, the very best of our talent, the very best of our money, the very best of our resources, the very best of our energy and creativity, the best of it should be reserved to help others. I know that's radical. I know the moment that's out of my mouth. There's a lot of us who are saying, even quietly below the surface, that ain't going to happen. But wouldn't you agree with me? Wouldn't it be what a world it would be if we did that? Couldn't you just agree with me on that? Wouldn't it be a phenomenal world if everybody used their very best to help others live well? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about game breakers. He's talking about world changers. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is looking for that. When Jesus told this story, it wasn't just on a sunny afternoon where he happened to be telling a parable. This story Jesus told is smack dab in the middle of one of the three major sermons that Jesus delivered that we have recorded for us. For instance, we have the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 4, 5, and 6. 6. We have Jesus' sermon about the Holy Spirit to his disciples, John 14, 15, and 16. But this talk, this parable, is right in the middle of what we call the Olivet Discourse. Anybody here read any of the series about left behind? and Any of you ever read any prophecy books? Things about last day events, Jesus coming back, the tribulation, the antichrist, and all that? That's what Jesus was talking about. People were curious in Jesus' time, just as they are today. I didn't know, uh, how's this thing going to end up? The Olivet Discourse is all about Jesus talking about last day events, and he's just cranking this stuff out. And he understood very clearly that what the disciples' inclination would be is to sit back and say, well, if Jesus is coming back, then we just need to sit down and wait for him to come back. And the Lord told this story about this owner and these managers. He was saying to them, look, guys, I don't want you to worry about the Antichrist and tribulation and all that. I want you to worry about cranking it out and making a difference. That's when he said there was this guy, this CEO, and he turned his resources over to these three managers and said, go out and make it happen. In the story, of course, the first two managers came back and they had doubled the owner's resources. This is where I came up with you times two, because I think what Jesus is inferring is that all of us really could double the impact that we're making if we chose to do it. So now let's go from world changers. Let's, let's put a second expression down. If you're taking notes with me, write down the words, surprisingly good, surprisingly good. Now this story isn't just about a CEO and managers. Think with me for a moment. Jesus talking about the owner leaving? He was only hours away from being arrested. He was about to leave. The guys that were being left behind as stewards, they were Jesus' followers. And by the way, that unfolds to you and me today. These managers who are left here with resources, that's you and me. Some of us are here with five, you know, some of us are five talent people. And I've met some of you. You guys are, man, you're just, you know, the, the, you're five, you're like the guy that the owner left with $5 million. That's who you are. You just make stuff happen. You have this incredible talent base. You have great intellect. You have great people skills. And you have, you have potential to change the world. You're five talent people. I'm not one. I'm probably more of a two-talent guy. Um, I, I, in, in my role, I'm a pastor and a communicator. I think about some guys who are five-talent guys, and I can feel, you know, I look at somebody like Bill Hybels or or Andy Stanley, and and, and on their worst day of communicating, I can't rise to their level on my best day. So I'm sort of a two-talent person. There might even be somebody here, and you think, Mark, I'm sort of a one-talent person. I, I don't really have a lot of skills or whatever. But here's the thing that I want us all to see. God is not going to judge us on our talent base. God is going to evaluate us based on what we did with what we were given. The wonderful thing about these first two managers is that they were surprisingly good. I don't know how much you made on your investments last year. 100% would probably not be very likely in 2008, right? I mean, if you made 10% on your money last year, you're fun- you're, you just ought to hug your money manager, okay? Whoever, that, whoever he sure was. If you didn't lose money last year, that's a good thing. 10% would have been phenomenal. 50% would have been, no, it would have been something to put in the, in, the, in the newspaper. But 100%, the guy who got 5 million came back and said, I have 10 million. The guy who got 2 million came back and said, I have 4 million. Both of these guys were surprisingly good. They were surprisingly good. What is it that makes somebody surprisingly good? Because that's what I want to be. I may not be able to bring back ten, 10 talents, but if I could bring back four, that would be, that's what I want to double my impact. How does a person become surprisingly good? Well, I don't, I don't want to appeal to the NFL, but I, am, I love football. I love NFL football. Anybody else here like football like I do? All right, guys. Yeah. Um, I got to tell you, one of my favorite channels is the NFL channel. I love the NFL channel, I've been looking for it all my life. NFL football, 365 days a year. See, I'm more interested in what's going on in the offseason in NFL football than I am anything else. And all of you guys and ladies who love NFL football like I do, what is coming up this month? The draft. The draft. Yeah, I love the draft. The draft is so cool. The draft is all about the future. The draft is all about hope. What, what happens in the NFL draft, in, in case you live in the real world, <laughs> uh, what happens in the NFL draft is all the NFL football teams get to select in a round-robin fashion the top players that come out of college. And of course, your, your, your prime pick is your first round pick. Each of the teams get to select a first round pick. Now, a first round pick is, is something that teams labor over long and hard because they want to find the very best player available at that point who has the most talent the best speed who can bench bench press the most who has the best statistics in college who fits in best with it they want to find the very best pick they can find and they have great expectations in a first round draft pick and then, of course, the rounds go, you know, the, the rounds go down each time as the teams select. And then there's what you call free agents. These are players that nobody drafts. They just didn't, that teams didn't think they were good enough to go in the draft. But maybe a team will sign them up as a free agent in the hopes they can come in and work out with the team. And who knows, maybe they'll stick. That's how it works. <laughs> there is a term for a player who is drafted in a high round who never produces. We call that person a draft What? Bust, yeah, I heard a few of you say that. A draft bust. Oh my goodness. We had great expectations of this player. But then we we love those sleepers. We love those guys who are drafted in the late rounds. We love those guys who are free agents that nobody thought, nobody gave a chance, nobody even offered a a, a tender to. And yet they turn out to be great. For instance, let me give you one of the most notable examples. The quarterback for the New England Patriots, Tom Brady, drafted in the sixth round. Oh, so many other teams passed him by, and nobody had great expectations for him. Who is Tom Brady? And yet, if the New England Patriots were to put Tom Brady out on the market today, some team would bundle up a bunch of number ones and trade them for Tom Brady. Why is that? Because he was surprisingly good. Now, let me leave football, and let's talk about real life for a moment. Many of us are not going to be number one draft picks, and we don't see ourselves that way. In First Corinthians chapter 1, and this is a great chapter. If you're going to do homework today, read First Corinthians 1 when you go home today, because what God says in that chapter is that He does not normally pick. God does not normally draft the ultra-wealthy, the ultra-famous, or the royal. We, we live in a celebrity-crazed celebrity culture, and, and our idea sometimes that if God is ever going to use somebody, it's some sort of celebrity, and God deliberately does not pick in the first round. He does not pick the people that the rest of the world pick. Why? Well, two reasons. Number one, I think because, in 1 Corinthians 1 says this, that when we are surprisingly good, God gets the credit and not us. But there's a second reason. Let me go back to football for a moment. Oftentimes, teams draft players because of what they call the intangibles, stuff that guy has on the inside that can't be measured with a tape, that can't be measured with a stopwatch, that can't be measured in the weight room, just something that that guy's got on the inside that just great, but you don't know exactly what it is. Guys, that's the reason why the Lord has picked a lot of us ordinary people is because he knows the intangibles. He knows what's inside of you that nobody else knows. That stuff, that essence of greatness that he has deposited in your account that maybe nobody else can see because you haven't taken that... Guys, time out for a moment. I know you're going to get tired of hearing me say this throughout this series, but one of the concerns that I have is the reason why so many of us are not making the kind of impact that we should make is that we've listened to other people who have sized us up and determined what we can do. I want us to break out of that. We can double our impact. God has picked you. He knows the intangibles. Maybe he drafted you in the last round. Maybe he signed you as a free agent, but he knows what you have inside of you, and you know what you have inside of you. You got five things. God has embedded you with resources. You have time, you have talent, you have energy, you have creativity, you have money. God has given you a package, and if you want to make a difference, you got to leverage that package. Surprisingly good. How does a person become surprisingly good? Let me read you a text out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. God says about a certain group of people, to their power and beyond their power, they were willing huge. God says about a group of people, the reason they were successful is they went to the very edge of their power. They went to the edge of, their, of what, they, what they could do. Think about it for a moment. What is your max? If you were willing, what would the spot be? Where would the mark be on, on your success level? Where would that mark be that you would say, this is the edge of what I can do? This is the edge of what I can spend. This is the edge of my ability. This is the edge of my time. This is the absolute edge, wherever that is. Most of us haven't gotten there yet. Most of us haven't even thought about it. But if you did, where would that that limit be? And you would say when you got there, I can't go a step further. God says that what surprisingly people... Good people do is they will go to the very edge of what they're able to do and they'll still be willing to go further. Let me read that one more time so that you don't miss that. For to their power and beyond their power, they were willing. They were willing. That's the intangible. That's what they call heart. God is looking for. because here's the deal suppose we get to that very edge of our resources and if we're still willing to keep going god says "Ah, i better invest that person with some more because they still want to take some ground surprisingly good third thing third word disappointing disappointing The Bible says this about a disappointing person. A lazy employee will give you nothing but trouble. It's vinegar in the mouth, smoke in the eyes. Proverbs 10, verse 26. Anybody ever depend upon somebody who's disappointing? Yeah, they had it within them. Just like the CEO. I mean, he only gave this guy a million dollars, but nobody's ever given me a million dollars to manage. That was still a healthy amount of money. But he was disappointing, He had some ability, but he didn't use it. He was disappointing. And it's always like vinegar in the mouth and smoke in the eyes when somebody is underproductive. I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. So for the next few moments, we're going to take some time together to workshop a question. And that is, is it possible that I buried some resources? This guy who was disappointing, the reason he was disappointing was he took his time, talent, creativity, money... He, he took the resources that God had given, that his owner had given him, and he buried them. He dug a hole in the ground, and he buried them. My guess is that many of us have the resources to make a difference, but we buried them. Now, before we get to that place, though, somebody can say, well, Mark, I, I want you to understand I am not underproductive. I have a great job. I make lots of money. I live in a big home. I got, I got a nice car. I'm, I'm a successful person, so clearly I have not buried my resources. Okay. I want you to now consider another phrase. I'm going to call it the pacifier effect. It is the nature of young people, and it has been for all generations, to want to change the world. I mean, it wasn't my, when I was a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s, I mean, all we talked about, we danced around, flowers in our hair, and, you know, and and we said, we're going to change the world. I'd like to teach the world to sing perfect harmony. All of you here laughing—you're revealing your age too. <laughs> well, what happened to all those flower children? Well, a few years later, we're trying to buy a BMW and a condo. Well, we've actually come—we had now morphed into the world that we were protesting our parents for. And and that's been true of every generation. It's true of young people today because there's just something in young people that want to change the world. They want to make an impact. They may not be real clear on it. They may have naivete, but it's just, that's the nature of young people, especially teenagers. They want to make a difference. They want to change the world. Ask them what they want to do. They want to go to Africa and work with AIDS survivors. I mean, you know, they, they, they want to do something that changes the world. There is an expression that we have for young people wanting to do that. We call it the idealism of youth. Hey, has it ever crossed your mind that nobody ever uses the expression, the idealism of the mid-30s? Or the idealism of middle age? Oh, he's just got that idealism of middle age. No, they call it a midlife crisis. <laughs> because he's buttoning his shirt down to his navel, wearing gold chains and driving a red sports car. <laughs> yeah, trying to change the world. He's trying to get as much conspicuous consumption in before they put him in a box. <laughs> Who talks about the idealism of old age? No, we're moving to Florida. We're getting a warm place. Nothing wrong with any of that, I guess. All I'm asking is the question, why is it that we talk about the idealism of youth? I don't know why it is, for sure. Maybe it's the disappointments of life. Maybe it's the pain of failure. Maybe it's disillusionment with heroes. But somewhere along the line, maybe when we graduate from college and find out what it takes to make a lot of money, we begin to employ the pacifier effect. Substitutes. That craving that we had to make a difference. God put that there. When, when we have that feeling of wanting to make a difference, we're syncing up with the design of our Creator. But then when that doesn't happen the way we want to, or we're disappointed or disillusioned or hurt, we start accepting substitutes. Maybe it's money, or maybe it's possessions, or maybe it's the accolades of our peers. And all of you moms and dads who have babies or small kids who are still using a pacifier, you understand the very nature of a pacifier. It keeps your kid busy, but there are no nutrients. And for all of us who have accepted the pacifier effect, and we say, I've buried my talents, I've got money, I've got, a pos- I've got possessions, I'm a success. Are you sure? It just could be that you've got stuff that's keeping you busy, but it's not It's not giving you meaning for who you really are. If you want to make a difference, and I do, I'm going to ask you to embrace the challenge that I'm embracing in my life right now. If you want to make a difference, start with the places where you've already resources. Go back to those holes and dig them up. I've got three for you to look at this morning. I'm not sure these are all three, but these are three in my life. And so I'm going to tell you where I buried some stuff and and, and what I'm trying to dig up in my life. And so hopefully this will resonate with you. When I started working on this series about a year ago, I asked myself, where are the holes where I bury my resources? And number one on my hit parade may not be number one on yours, but I'm just telling it like it is and telling you who I am. Number one for me, the first hole where I bury resources is the hole of procrastination. Now, the thing about the hole of procrastination that makes it a little bit deceptive is, see, when we, when we bury stuff in the hole of procrastination, we don't think it's a hole because we only plan to leave it there overnight. It's just today's not a good day. Tomorrow will be a better day. But there's a problem with tomorrows, and James talks about them in James chapter 4, verse 14. He said, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. James says, the problem with putting stuff off until tomorrow is we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And beyond that, our life is like a puff of smoke. You reach out and try to grab it, and it slips right through your fingers. I am so good at procrastinating. A lot of that's because I have a very busy life. See, I'm starting to make excuses for it right here on stage in front of you, God, and the television cameras. But <laughs> I do, I have a very busy life, and I just say to myself, wow, I'll, I'll get to that tomorrow. But isn't it true for those of you who are like me, you're procrastinators? I don't know if any of you are members of the Procrastinators Club. A lot of us intend to join. We just don't, haven't gotten to it yet. But um, <laughs> isn't it true that when we procrastinate, what we're doing is we're living life on credit? We're savoring the inertia and the, and the ease today and the promise that we're going to spring into action tomorrow. But my tomorrows have that propensity to turn into the todays that never seem to be the right day. So why do we procrastinate? Let's work through this real quickly. My guess, there's as many reasons for procrastinating as there are people here today, but I came up with four. I think in my my life, the number one reason why I tend to procrastinate is because I have latent perfectionist tendencies. If I can't do it perfectly, I'm just going to let it sit. Or for some of us, it's our priorities are all screwed up. We're doing less important things, and because we're doing less important things, we never can get to the big stuff. There's a third reason why we tend to procrastinate, and that is the stuff of true greatness tends to be difficult. And so we we busy ourselves with doing things that don't matter a lot because those are smaller hills to climb. Here's another one, another reason why I procrastinate. The door's not wide open enough. God has opened a door, but man, I want all the money before I start. I, I want I want it to be a comfortable, easy thing to do, and yet God is saying, okay, Mark, I'm going to give you a little bit of a door opening here. You take that opening, and I'll take you the rest of the way. I don't know why all of us procrastinate, but here's the deal. There's never a good reason. There's never a good reason. If you want to be successful in, in making an impact, do what you can do today. If you can't do it today, can't is a powerful word. Just do what you can do and leave tomorrow Leave tomorrow to do the things that God Will open the doors for tomorrow. In Luke 9, verse 62, Jesus said, No procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. Seize the day. The whole of procrastination. I'm finding a lot of buried treasure there. Number two, the whole of fear. I picked this one up because this is the very reason why the unproductive manager said he didn't do well. He said in Matthew 25 verse 25, I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. Anybody else like me that you want to do great things, but there are fears that are like a pack of wolves that just sort of stand in between us and the destiny that God has called us to? And we're like, we want to get there, but it's like, whoa, I don't know if I can deal with those wolves. Fear is paralysis. Fear is like a stop sign on the highway of God's destiny for our lives. If you get out on K96 after the service is over, you're driving 74 miles an hour out there on K96. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you look out there in the middle of the two lanes, you know, on your side of the road, and there's a stop sign planned there. The first question out of your mouth is, what fool did that? Because it's a stop sign on a highway. See, God wants you and me running on the highway, but along comes the enemy, Satan. He wants to bluff us out of God's plan for our lives. He'll just stick a stop sign down. It's a fear that says, oh, if we do what God has called us to do, who knows, maybe we're going to fail. The last 18 months, I've been dissecting this story because I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. And and, and it came to me that when this guy who failed, when he told the owner that he failed because he was afraid, does it strike you as interesting as it did for me that he didn't say what he was afraid of? He just said he was afraid. And I was about to I was about to call this guy a jerk <sighs> until I realized I do the same thing. Isn't it true that the fears that tend to stop us aren't real clearly defined? There's just sort of this nebulous, hazy well, I don't know. There's this sense of I'm gonna be generally disadvantaged if I take this step. For instance, there have been times when I've been impulsed by God to be generous. This is the situation, and and God is saying, hey, Mark, you could do something about that. And and many times I've responded to that, but I'm I'm ashamed to say there have been moments when I've choked and I've not stepped forward, and the reason why, I've been afraid. So I analyzed those moments as I was prepping for this message, and I asked myself just what was it I was afraid of? Was it something clearly defined? Was I afraid of starving to death? Was I afraid of losing my house? Was I afraid that I wouldn't have the money to pay my bills? And you know what? The answer came back, no. I just had this general sense of unease. There was that pack of wolves out there that said, "Mm, if you try this, it could be dangerous. And I'm saying, okay, okay. That's the nature of fear. I realized I've missed a lot of golden opportunities in life that God had for me because I was just afraid. Not sure what I was afraid of, but just, just afraid. I challenged one of those fears. Nothing really big the other day, just just something I've been afraid to do for a long time. I've known I need to do it, but I I just choked, you know, step back. Oh, I don't want to do that. And so I said, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to challenge this fear. And I was sitting, waiting for my name to be called. And and, and guys, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I was just watching what was happening inside of me because at first the butterflies were flying. I'm thinking, oh no, I'm finally doing this. But all of a sudden, I noticed an internal change inside of me and the emotion that I had started with had now morphed into a different emotion. And I was asking myself, what am I feeling? And then it hit me. What I was feeling was exhilaration. I had challenged that fear. I had said, I'm not going to stop. You can plant a stop sign in the middle of my highway if you want to, but I'm going on. And that was that wonderful feeling of exhilaration. And all I'm saying to us is the chances are we buried some resources. We buried some money in the hole of fear. We buried some time in the hole of fear. We buried some, oh, Lord knows how much creativity we buried in the hole of fear and talent. Why? The enemy is a liar. He's a bluffer. You can feel exhilaration if you'll break through that the whole of fear close with this one the whole of attitude this third guy when he fell <laughs> The owner was asking him to give a report. His, his two buddies had said, well, they had doubled their resources, and the owner was just all over them. He was saying, great, you guys, I knew you had it in you. It's who you are, and, and I'm going to give you profit sharing, and you're going to be partners with me now. And so they heard all these great accolades. And so this third guy stepped up who had buried the treasure in the dirt, and he came forward. And it was interesting because instantly he started ragging on the owner. I mean, listen to what He said, Master, Matthew 25, 24. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man. In effect, he was saying, The reason I was unproductive is is you. (laughs) Strange that the other two managers didn't notice what a difficult guy the owner was. Just this third guy. And so he was saying, basically, the reason why I'm unproductive, it's not my fault. It's your fault. It's God's fault. God isn't fair. I never catch the brakes. Nobody treats me fairly. And by the way, if you and I are in, looking for injustice in life, we will find it because this world is not a fair place. But guys, if you and I develop a bad attitude, it will, it will, we, will, we will just pour resources into that hole. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, here's what the Bible says. I've, I've memorized this verse as a child, and I've loved it all my life. It says, guard your heart above all else. Now, heart there means attitudes. Guard your attitudes at all costs, the Bible is saying. Guard your attitudes, for it determines the course of your life. The actual Hebrew there is talking about a well. And the way the Bible sees your attitudes and my attitudes, it sees them in the metaphor of a well that we would drink from, our family would drink from. And and what what the writer of Proverbs is saying is, look, if you had a well that you got your life-saving water out of, you wouldn't let somebody come dump poison into that well. You'd be careful. You would guard that well because out of that well is your ability to live. And, And that is what the Bible is saying about your attitudes and my attitudes. God is saying, look, guard your attitudes. I have to do that in my life. And I don't know what you think of me for saying this, but I don't let critical people close to me. I don't let, you know, if people are always gossiping, criticism, fault finding, negative, always the world is against me. The world's and if they start trying to dump all the all the bad stuff on me and tell me all their negativity and things, I just don't let that happen. I figure that if somebody dumps garbage on me, they must think I'm a garbage can. Somehow I must have communicated that's what I am. I don't let them close. Because you know what I've discovered? If I'm around somebody who is fault-finding and negative and mean-spirited and critical, and most of all, if I'm around somebody who's got a bad attitude, and they're telling me how bad the boss is, and how bad the teachers are, and how bad the law enforcement are, and how everybody has it against them, what I've discovered is if I'm around that, it will get into my groundwater. And before long, I'll be saying those kinds of things. And I'll bury precious resources down a black hole. I know today has been kind of a challenge for us, but my goal has been to say to all of us, the very resources that we need to change the world are probably in our backyard in a wholesome place. Dig them up. Dig it up. Go out to that hole of procrastination and say, that's it. I'm doing it today, not tomorrow, today. I mean, go out to that hole of fear and say, I've seen enough stop signs in the middle of my highway. I'm through with them. I mean, go out to that hole of attitude and saying, yeah, it's an unfair place, but God is God, and He's coming back, and I want to be part of what He's doing in the world. And my guess is, you'll find a wealth of resources, just like I'm finding in those holes in my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us be here today and for what your Holy Spirit is teaching us on the road to doubling our impact. Help me, Father, for you know how flawed I am. Help us as a group to have the idealism of youth because you want to do great things with us. May all of us be surprisingly good. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, just another minute here. Every weekend, I always give people a chance. If you haven't prayed to receive Christ, I I give people a chance to do that. And let me tell you why. Earlier today, I talked about procrastination. You know what I've seen in 32 years of pastoring? I've seen people who intended to accept Christ, but they put it off, and I've seen, and, and not to scare anyone, but I have seen some people put it off too late. And my goal is that you would never do that. If you've never invited Christ into your life, You should do it today. There's no reason to wait. Because the the work, what's necessary for you to get into heaven has been done for you. It's like someone who pays your check at a restaurant. And the server comes around and says, you have friends over there and they, they wanted to pay your check for you. That's the story of the Bible. All the sins that we've ever committed and we should go to hell for. God comes along and says, somebody loved you very much. His name was Jesus, and he's already paid the check for you. All you and I have to do is to receive. Why would anybody wait an extra minute on that? All over the Bible, it just has one word. Believe, 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 believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. John, uh, Acts sixteen thirty-one. If you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Romans ten nine. Whoever believes will have everlasting life, John 3, 16. Over and over and over, believed. God doesn't say do in order to have everlasting life. He says believe. It's a gift. And all God wants you to do is believe that Jesus died in your place, that he arose from the grave, and that if you commit your life to him, that God will do a miracle in your life. You won't be able to understand it all. I've been a believer since I was eight years old. I still don't understand it all. But I know he's there. And if you've never prayed to receive him, I'm going to give you a chance. Please don't put it off another minute. Let's do it together right now. I'm going to pray, and you can pray with me. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you arose from the grave. I do believe. Would you forgive me? Save me. And make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys. We've prepared a gift for you. If you, do, if you pray with me, I know that happens so quickly. If you pray with me, if you will, would you take your worship folder? It's detachable. If you would just take the part of that folder where it has a place for your name and address and also uh, this little blue field here. If you just pray with me to receive Christ and you'd like me to mail this to you, just put your name and address on there. Check the box that says you prayed to receive Christ. I'll send it to you. I know we're crowded, but if you have just a few extra minutes and you'd like to take this with you today, Right through those middle doors and beyond, there are two zones called Guest Services and New Spring Store. If you've got just a few minutes, you have this card, you pray with me to receive Christ, just take it back there to one of those two locations. They're not going to ask you any questions or anything. Just say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give this to you and take it home with you today.